Hey everyone, uh, grab your Bible. If you don't have one, email info at eaglemontchurch.ca and we would love to get you a Bible if you do not have one. Uh, I want to tell you right off the top what the takeaway is this morning. And I think it'll cause you to want to stay with us. God can take our deepest regret over sin and failure in our life and the brokenness that comes often as a result of those choices. He can take that away and he can make something incredible and beautiful and solid out of our lives on the other side of those experiences of brokenness and choices that led us there. There's hope. And so I want you to hear that this morning strongly. Pray with me. God, I pray that that simple truth would come home in a powerful way to every heart and mind this morning and whenever this is being watched. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Several months ago, I was uh, prayerfully uh, planning for summer Sunday messages at Eaglemont Church, and I, I truly sensed the Holy Spirit directing me toward the deep, uh, value of the Psalms, uh, which are, for those that don't know, a collection of 150, uh, really they're, they're poems, some of them were songs, reflections, uh, paragraphs, uh, a grouping of them in the Old Testament. Um, and that was, that was pre-COVID prayer and planning session I had. But, but how applicable in the time that we're living, given what these last number of months have been. If you're not a Christ follower, I'm glad you're listening because I'm confident that there will be words that will be helpful and potentially life-changing for you. And of course, that's uh, the case for those who are following Christ already. Many of us know how meaningful the Psalms are and uh, the, the Psalms have brought peace to our minds and comfort in all kinds of difficult situations. For many of us, we know that we've read the Psalms before. Uh, they, they so often resonate so deeply and they encourage these many centuries later, it's just so cool. Uh, that's because God has not changed, human nature has not changed, and the fact that life many times is is difficult. That has not changed. And so the Psalms are still so applicable. Today, we look at Psalm 51. But uh, first, the backstory. We need to understand from 2 Samuel, an Old Testament history book, uh, 2 Samuel, where we see uh, what led to David writing this powerful psalm about uh, God's amazing forgiveness and uh, this great reminder uh, that there's always, always a way back uh, to God in, in times or coming out of times of horrible regret. And that's something, again, I, I just believe that, that some of you really need to hear that message this morning, and I, I pray that you will. David wrote most of the Psalms. He uh, was a shepherd boy turned king, and some of his Psalms are, are just you know, very powerful and beautiful expressions of worship to God that can bring lift to our own spiritual lives as we make those psalms our own. Uh, some of them were written when he was being pursued to be killed by uh, an angry and jealous King Saul and his men. And, and David had some serious conversations with God. And God's big enough to handle those questions where, God, what's going on? What is up with this situation? I'm hiding in a cave and I'm, uh, I'm being pursued like an animal to be killed. Um, in those Psalms, David is desperate and he's just really raw and honest with God. And it's, uh, it's refreshing to read and often, again, resonates with where we are at life. Um, but, but the thing about that is 
Every time David comes back, he lands solidly on spiritual ground saying, you know what, I don't get what's going on, but God, I'm still gonna trust you. And that's, a, that's a, another great lesson out of the Psalms for us. So Psalm 51, the backstory, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here's an overview, don't have time to read it, but the overview is this. It was a time, we're told in, in 2 Samuel 11, it was a time when kings would normally go out to war. But for whatever reason, David, King David, stayed home. And that got him into trouble. Well, he got himself into trouble, but he wasn't where he should have been is the point. He woke up one night, couldn't sleep for whatever reason, went on, went on to the roof, maybe to get some fresh air. And as, as he was on the roof, looking down, the Bible says that he saw a beautiful woman bathing and he was, he was tempted sexually and he acted on that temptation. And back then, you remember, kings could do anything they want. They could have anything they want, give any command and it would have to be done. He commanded that that woman be brought to him. They had sex and she got pregnant, someone else's wife. So uh, she, she was the husband, uh, sorry, she, she was the wife of a man named Uriah. And where was Uriah? He was out in battle with all the other men. So David had to work a plan, and he did, to try to cover up his sin. He ordered Uriah be sent home, and he was. And he's all, we, we see this in verse 7 of 2nd, uh, of 2nd Samuel chapter 11, where he's all chatty almost with, with the husband of the woman with whom he had just committed adultery. It's, it's crazy. Um, David told Uriah, Go home, go to your house. It's almost like giving him a break from war. David thought that Uriah would go home, sleep in his bed, sleep with his wife, and then people would assume that that baby was Uriah's. Uriah was too honorable a man. He didn't do that. He slept outside. So, plan B, David had to initiate. The next night, get Uriah drunk. He'll go home then. It didn't go that way for David. So plan C initiated. David sent Uriah back to battle with a letter in his hand that of course he could not read or open, a letter for the commanding officer. And in uh, 2 Samuel eleven fifteen, it says this, that the letter that David sent within, in Uriah's own hand to the commander, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. That's just, that's terrible. What, what, what sad and disturbing things cover-up attempts lead to? David's plan to kill Uriah, of course, was so that he could marry Bathsheba quickly, so people would assume that the baby was conceived after they were married. Here's the, here's the biblical update in 2 Samuel 11, 26 and 27. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It broke God's heart, all of it. It broke God's heart. God still loved David, but it displeased God, his actions. And then in uh, the next chapter, 2 Samuel 12, God sends uh, the prophet Nathan, and we see the narrative about that. This, uh, this guy, Nathan, a godly man, comes and confronts David. 
And David ends up repenting of his sin, uh, sins, uh, and you see that in verse 13 of 2 Samuel 12. And so it's, it's all this, it's this story that resulted in David uh, in his grief over his sin and in the writing of this uh, powerful Psalm 51, which has been a source of hope for many, many people over centuries. And so I'll, I'll read selected verses from Psalm 51, starting at verse 1. And again, David's writing, and remember this story as we read these words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Transgression, of course, another word for sin. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in, in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Verse seven, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Just worthy praise, given the forgiveness, the depth of forgiveness that he'd received, right? And then verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a, uh, a broken and contrite heart. Contrite means humble or uh, remorseful. Uh, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise or you will not uh, turn away from. What powerful words. And obviously there's more there than we can uh, deal with or talk about today. So I'll highlight just a few key elements of this prayer for forgiveness, a prayer, a prayer that all of us need to pray regularly. In the very first verse, we see our need and God's character. Our need and God's character. That's a, that's a beautiful collision, fortunately for us. We see the words, wash me. We see the words, blot out my transgression or my sin. We need that. I need that. And if you're honest, I'm sure you'd say, you need that as well. But how do we know we'll receive it? God's forgiveness. We know it because of God's character. His character throughout scripture, throughout the experience of those of us that know him and, and walk with him. He's faithful to what he says he will do. Always faithful. He's a character God. And in verse, in verse 1, his, his unfailing love and his great co compassion are what lead him to address our sin problem with a perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, his son. So we would not have to suffer the eternal consequence of sin, namely separation for eternity from our loving God. He didn't want that. And that's what the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is all about. So sin we see here is, uh, and, and in scripture, we see that sin is a debt we owe, and it's also an ugly stain on our soul, and in fact, a, a barrier to 
knowing God in a personal way and, and, and being in relationship with him. Sin is a debt and an ugly stain. God's mercy that David cries out for in verse 1 is what addresses our, our debt of sin. In other words, mercy. Mercy. That expression of God's love whereby we don't receive what we do deserve. And I deserve to be the one to pay for my sin. God has every right to send me that invoice. But he chose to send Jesus and Jesus voluntarily came and stood in place of me and took the penalty for sin, the punishment for sin upon himself. It's the powerful truth of the gospel, which simply means good news, and it is for every one of us. And the stain that sin leaves in our hearts and minds and on our lives can be washed away completely. And my friend, please hear this because some of you are, are sinking in hopelessness because of past sin, maybe very recent sin, failure, big failure. You need to believe what David knows as he writes this psalm, namely that God, because he is a charactered and faithful God, will forgive you. David says it this way, he says, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And my friend, I'm telling you, he will. Please, please hear this. Please believe me. Please believe God's word because that's where it's stated so clearly and powerfully. He will forgive you if you ask. That's grace. Grace. The expression of God's love whereby uh, we do receive what we don't deserve. Forgiveness. Cleansing a fresh start, a clean slate, and as a result, an eternal, an eternal relationship with our Creator as a result. It's truly incredible. The, 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 in, the insurmountable debt of our sin, paid in full, taken care of. If you've got a $100,000 mortgage, someone comes along one day, paid for. Oh, how awesome would that be? What we're talking about here in terms of our debt of sin and the eternal result of that, if we stay there, God coming along and saying, your sin debt is paid in full. You can go free. That, that, that's so far beyond what the mortgage illustration, how that might excite us. It's, it's just, it's phenomenal. It really is. And that's only possible through the perfect sacrifice, as I said already, of Jesus Christ, who, who willingly went to the cross for us so we could go free and, and live clean and eternally with God in heaven and here and now as well. You see, for David, who lived hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, God the Father uh, was actually looking forward, looking ahead to the cross of Jesus. And, and God applies that sacrifice to David because it's still only the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that allows David or, or anyone to be forgiven. And in David's case, those many centuries before. David points out something that is true of every human being who has ever lived. And we see it in verse 5. He says, I was sinful at birth. David's highlighting 
a reality that the New Testament writer, uh, Paul is his name, who wrote about half of the New Testament, he, he talks about this a lot too, the fact that we are born in sin. Uh, Romans 5, as an example, you can read some verses there, that we're born with this, what the Bible calls uh, sin nature. It's, it's in there. It just is. And it, it came as a result of our first human parents choosing sin and what they wanted to do instead of obedience to God. And ever since, that nature, that sinful nature, that tendency towards sin uh, is, is passed on generation to generation. Paul says it succinctly in Romans 3.23, he just says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, every one of us. The beauty is in God's offer that we can trade our sin for Christ's righteousness. And it's only in his cleansing that we're, that we're eternally, eternally accepted into God's family. Righteousness isn't some weird kind of list of do's and don'ts. No, it's simply to be put in right standing with God by virtue of the fact that we asked him to forgive us and to begin to lead our life. That's, that's what that, that means. We also see David's confidence in God's forgiveness in verse 7 where he says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He said, what is hyssop? Uh, I had to look it up myself. Hyssop was a branch used in the Old Testament to uh, sprinkle blood. And it was part of the Old Testament sacrificial system for sin. Uh, but in this case, to sprinkle blood over a house that had disease in it to, uh, to declare it clean. Well, in his use of this image, David is asking his ultimate priest, God, to make him completely clean, knowing that he will. And David models for us a turning toward God even when we're guilty of failing him and even, even failing him terribly as, as David did. This is significant because our natural response would be to turn away. And that's what we see our first human parents do in uh, Genesis 3.8. They hide themselves from God, their creator, after their sin. Natural reaction. And yet God wants our first response after we sin, after we fail him. He wants our first response to be uh, turning toward him because that's where grace is found. And he longs for us to be in relationship with him. After knowing that he's been forgiven, David, in uh, verses 10 to 12 of Psalm 51, we won't comment on any one of these, but he asks God for numbers of things in those three verses. Create in me a pure heart. Uh, remain, or renew rather, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Uh, he didn't want to be spiritually unstable. Uh, do not cast me away from your presence. And I believe David knew that God wouldn't, but he wanted to let God know he didn't want him to. Do not cast me away from your presence and then renew or uh, restore to me the joy of your salvation. John Piper makes the interesting observation that in this psalm, David does not talk specifically about his sexual sin. Piper suggests that David knew that, uh, that his sexual sin was not a symptom. It, it, it was, uh, or rather, it was, it was a symptom, not the disease. Piper says that people give way to sexual sin because they don't have the fullness of joy and gladness in Christ. It's true that if our, if our joy and our heart's passion is knowing God and walking with God, temptation, when it comes, looks far less appealing. And that's why it's so vital that as Christ followers, we, we stay close to God and uh, have a heart posture that is just depending on Him and trusting, him, uh, trusting in Him every, every step of the way. I conclude with this important truth. 
Uh, when God forgives, he really forgives. He completely forgives. You may say, some of you, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, you've, re- you've maybe read Psalm 51 many times. Well, come on, Marvel, that's, that's pretty basic. Yeah, it is. But there's not a more powerful, life-changing truth. When God forgives, he fully, complete, completely, fully, totally forgives. Our sin is gone. You see, many times we beat ourselves up, and I've seen it. Christians who beat themselves up over past sins, even after they've genuinely come to God and asked for forgiveness. Why, sh- why should we struggle? Why should we struggle with forgiving ourselves when God, the only perfect and holy one, has already forgiven us? He's forgiven you. Why are you beating yourself up over your past failure? It's gone. You see, when our past is brought up to our memory and maybe even it feels like it's being shaken in our face sometimes, that's not God. That's not God doing that. The Bible tells us that there's an enemy of God and and so he's our enemy if we love God. He's the one that will try to remind us of our past. And when that happens, well, we can remind him of what Jesus did for us, and we can also remind him uh, about what his future looks like. Don't succumb to Satan's lies that you've got to somehow still make up for the failure or sin in your past. God took care of it through Christ. There's two other very important verses about God's forgiveness that I want to be sure that you know about and maybe you want to grab a pen and write these down. Uh, Psalm 103 verse 12 simply says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. That's a long ways. That's a continuum of distance. As far as the east is from the west. When you ask forgiveness, it's gone. And then Micah 7.19 says that God will cast our sins, when we ask his forgiveness, he, he will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. God's using a metaphor here. You see, God knew how deep the sea was before, when, when he wrote this, when he had Micah record those words uh, 2,700 years ago, God knew how deep the sea was before, you know, now we've got technology to show us the depths of the sea, and it's crazy. God knew about that already. The idea behind this metaphor is that once God forgives our sin, it's gone for good, no fishing allowed, or even possible. That's awesome, and you should be encouraged by that. I want to remind you again of Nathan, the man we referred to earlier that God sent to confront David about his sin. Uh, He told David something fantastic about... um, or after David had genuinely sought God's forgiveness. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, he said these words, The Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. It's good news. He shall not die. In other words, death is separation in the Bible. And sin brings death. And death being separation means that our sin results in eternal separation from God. But God doesn't want that. And again, that's why he sent Jesus Christ. What's keeping you from asking God to forgive you today and to come into your life and begin to lead your life? I'm not asking you to join a religion. I don't want religion. I don't want religion. Jesus didn't come to offer religion. Human beings 
have made many religions. As a matter of fact, in some cases, the teachings of Jesus sadly have been made into a religion. And that's not God's desire nor his intent. I want to, as I close, I want to explain the difference between religion and New Testament Christianity. And it can be done in two very simple words. Religion is spelled D-O, do. Religion says you got to work for what you get. You got to work to be forgiven or or possibly, hopefully be forgiven because you never know. You, You don't know if you've done enough. Do, 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 be better, do more. That's religion. Religion is spelled D-O. New Testament Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. Everything that needed to be done for you and I to know God, our creator, in an eternal and personal and eternal relationship was done by Christ on the cross and his resurrection. How freeing, how freeing is that? That's God's grace. That's the forgiveness. That's the freedom that David is writing about here, although not using those exact words. You see, Jesus paid the sin debt that we could never pay. So today, what would it be that would keep you from asking God's forgiveness that you may, right now, you may know that you need, but you're afraid, or for whatever reason, you're, you, you don't know what's on the other side, or there, there's things that in your mind keep you from asking God's forgiveness and keep you from surrendering your life to him, I would ask you to step in to that place of wondering and trust this God who is charactered and loving and all-wise and has your best interests in in mind, in his heart for, for now and for eternity. If that's your desire, if you want to do that, you can follow me in a simple prayer like this. It's not about these words. God knows your heart. But if you were to pray, and if you want to, join me right now, saying, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your great love for me. I thank you for sending Jesus to step in and take my place of punishment for sin, punishment I deserve. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that willingly. God, I ask you, because of what Jesus has done, because of his death and resurrection, and the power that that brings for my life here and now and in eternity. I surrender to you, God. I ask you to be the the forgiver of my sin so that I can know you personally and the leader of my life to walk with me through this life and into the next. By your grace, I receive this gift of eternal life and your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. I would be so excited to hear from any of you who made that expression, talking to God. That's what we call it. That's prayer. It's talking to God. And you can text the number uh, that you see on the screen right now. If you trusted Christ, if you made the decision to ask Jesus to be your forgiver and your leader and you surrendered your life to him in these moments, that's what you just did. If you prayed that prayer, would love to hear about it. We want to just want to help you. Maybe put some resources in your hand if you're, if you're open to that that would help you solidify and grow in this new relationship with Christ. And so go ahead and text that number. Encourage you to do that. We'd, we'd love to hear from you and be so excited uh, together with you in this important and, and life-changing, eternity-changing decision that you just made to be a Christ follower. Read Psalm 51. 
this week a few times and let the power of it sink into your heart and mind in even deeper ways. Two weeks from today, we continue our psalm series as we look at Psalm 139. But next Sunday, uh, we have a message from our friend and uh, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada global worker, uh, Kelly Schultz. Kelly and Ange uh, used to be in our church family. They're serving God and his mission over in Southeast Asia. And Kelly is uh, recording his message there and sending it to us for us to be encouraged by uh, next Sunday. Uh, Unprecedented love is the, is the title. So don't miss that. Great to uh, have you with us today. Have a fantastic week.